Hey, everybody. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so we're live now. And um, <laughs> welcome to the Swedenborg Live show of this week, where we're exploring the framework of near-death experiences. And I am not here alone. Thankfully, I've got a crew here to help me and you know we're all going to respond to your great questions about spiritual life and so uh, I want to give a chance for each of the rest of the panel members to introduce themselves so hi I'm Karen Childs community manager and writer on off the left eye and really glad to be here with you today and I'm Cara Dom Latin consultant and uh, part of the moderation and comment response team looking forward to a fun hour all right, and I'm Chris Dunn. I'm the Director of Digital Marketing. Yeah, and super fun to have Chris here who hasn't been on our live show in a while, but he's a familiar face to some of you, I'm sure. And my face is probably familiar as well, but I'm Chelsea Odner and a writer for uh, Swedenborg and Life and happy to get to be here and even sitting in the hosting seat. Um, so as usual, we're gonna be taking your live questions. We can't wait to hear them. and. As we often do in this show, we play a little game where we give you the chance to extend the amount of time that we can answer questions by 15 minutes if we reach a certain goal. And But we're putting a twist on that where this week our goal is going to be the special number of $171. And uh, that, why, you might wonder, why 171 well, with the subject of the framework of near-death experiences and really how Swedenborg's theology uh, gives us this framework that we explored in the Monday night show, um, 171, if you open your copy of Heaven and Hell, if you have one nearby, or you could look up a PDF, there's this great number from Heaven and Hell, 171. And so I'm gonna read it for you right now. In 171, it, it's written, the things that exist in heaven cannot be seen with our physical eyes, but only with the eyes of our spirit. And when it pleases the Lord, these are opened. At such times, we are led out of the natural light that our physical senses are in and raised into the spiritual light in which we dwell because of our spirit. This is the light in which I have seen the things that exist in the heavens. And that's a great uh, message because it, that's part of the framework that I take for granted as somebody very familiar with Swedenborg's experiences. Like I knew about Swedenborg, honestly, in my lifetime before I knew about the phenomenon of near-death experiences. And so when I hear about near-death experiences, it just clicks and makes sense that, oh yeah, your spiritual eyes get opened. And that's part of the process that's happening for people to see, have the amazing experiences that they have um, in near-death experiences and other spiritual experiences. So if you want to help us reach our goal this week of $171, uh, then you can give at otle.cosvox.com. And if we reach that goal, then we get an extra 15 minutes of responding to questions. And um, so get your questions in. But speaking of spiritual experiences, this week's reflection question was on the, was this, have you or someone you know had a spiritual experience. And so people got their responses in, and so Karin is gonna read some of them so that we can share them here together. 
Yeah, these were, of course, longer stories than we're going to show here, but these are summaries of some amazing stories. And please go to our social media or community tab on YouTube to read the whole thing. So these are like teaser trailers. <laughs> so um, I was deeply depressed and didn't want to live anymore. I'm not sure how, but I was taken into the light and shown many things, including a hopeful future. I still have trouble believing it, but the experiences gave me back enough trust in the future to get out of my crippling depression and start doing stuff again. Yes, often. I wondered if it was something weird to me until I landed on Swedenborg and got so encouraged. After a health crisis that medicine couldn't solve, I went to a Reiki teacher. During the session, I met my angels. They were always there. I just couldn't see them and spoke with God. My whole paradigm shattered. My previous ideas of the world disappeared. My healing journey continues. I wish I have. Yeah, I hear you, Alexa. <laughs> my sister has them regularly. I've seen those on the other side many times over the years. It's clean and bright and people look young and healthy compared to us here. I was meditating and a feeling of intensely deep gratitude filled me. It was literally breathtaking. It was a mix of joy and tremendous love that had me weeping tears of love. I always have. When my dad passed, I knew before my sister called. My old man passed last year. I swear he visited me in a dream. It was so vivid that it stays to, with me to this day. An angel appeared to me in a dream and gave me a message about my future. That message gave me hope throughout my life. Now it seems unlikely it'll ever come true. I had an NDE before my sixth birthday. I got a glimpse of the spiritual realms. The most important part was people should accept God is real and to be good to others. Mm. I was awakened from sleep, immersed in heavenly love and could see how my whole life had been leading up to a decision to take care of orphans in Nepal. And finally, I see all kinds of things. When the light comes toward me, I feel comfort, safe, loved. And sometimes I hear a faint sound of a choir singing. So thank you so much for telling those stories. Um, a mixture of amazing, obvious experiences and some that gave something to somebody, but they're still kind of grappling with it. And um, others of us are wishing <laughs> it might happen, but uh, I, I love hearing about other people's experiences because it reaffirms what Swedenborg had to describe. That's right. And that's, that's so cool. And that's something that, um, so people can hear uh, Curtis and I have a conversation, each of us responding to this question in this Sunday's podcast of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast, the title of which is Spiritual Experiences and Paul's Place in New Church Theology. So a little extra subject there too. But in, in the podcast, Curtis and I really found and hearing those responses, it just confirms it that, you know, the um, they're so like spiritual experiences are a phenomenon. They really happy happen to a number of people. And, and it's just great to get to uh, provide a place where people can share those experiences and, and we can respect them and honor them, even, even if they're murky, even, at, you know, just all the different experiences that people have. Um, it's just really cool to get to hear from people about that. 
So, all right, on to responding to some questions. Here's our first one from Biomedi, who asks, does Swedenborg comment anywhere on people in a deep comatose state? And that's really interesting. I'll be interested to hear any of your thoughts because I've wondered, I've wondered that too. And, uh, and I don't, I guess, I don't know what, if, if Swedenborg talks about it at all, but uh, we can certainly speculate. So Karin, yeah, do you have a thought? I'll get things started. One thing is, I wonder if that, to what extent that would have even existed in his day, because when we these days have people in a coma, it's because we have these life support machines that can keep people's bodies alive in ways that weren't possible before. And I don't know if there are kinds of comas in which a person isn't on a life support system, but I, yeah, I guess there, there are. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think it happens much more these days than it would have in Swedenborg's day just to, to start. Um, I don't recall him saying anything about people in a coma, but I certainly feel like I can relate that question to things about that while we're sleeping, we have this whole thing going on where our spirits are connecting with spirits and angels and we are, you know, the things are actually happening with us in the spiritual world at uh, that are being reflected in our dreams, as well as just, um, you know, that, that there really are spiritual interactions happening while we sleep. Um, definitely that there are things going on with our spirits in the afterlife that we are unaware of, even while we're just walking around in our earthly day. So, you know, things that we are unconscious to, but that uh, we can even be our higher selves or a deeper part of ourselves can actually be having conversations that we're not aware of or interacting with people in spiritual communities that we're not aware of in our earthly minds. So it seems to me there must be stuff going on while a person is in a coma, a comatose state. There, there must be things that their spirit is engaged in uh, while their body is asleep <laughs> because it just seems to only make sense if we already know we have this spiritual life, very active spiritual life going on in the afterlife, even while we're here go, walking around our day. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting to think about and to know that some, in some cases, some people who are in comas are a, a little bit responsive to, to the, to what's going on around them or, or very deeply unresponsive, but to, uh, you know, what Swedenborg writes about just the nature of our spirit does sort of lend a sense of like, even if somebody looks physically not there to trust that their spirit is receptive, even, even if the physical body is in a state where it can't be receptive. Um, yeah, Cara, do you have a thought? I just read recently that angels, that one of the jobs it said that angels love to do the most is to hang around with people while they're sleeping. And, um, keep them safe and right. things like that, yeah. which is, it's a very moving, you know, image. And I know some people feel betrayed by that because not everybody feels taken care of while they're sleeping. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but I just think of that. Um, there's got to be just swarms of angels around comatose people 
um, because if that's all they have is the, the life of their spirit in one way or another, um, you know, that's, that's got to be a, an active place, I'm thinking, for the spiritual world. Yeah, totally. That's a good spin on it that I hadn't been thinking about that we're all, we all, yeah, we go into that state when we're asleep. And so that, of course, yeah, angels would be all the more. And of course, with little babies, you know, that, that, that Swedenborg says, that's also a time when angels are kind of hyper present, you know, or, and really the highest angels are super close. So it seems like when the more that as to our physical level, we're in kind of a passive or vulnerable state, heaven and love gets even closer to kind of take care of us uh, than, than not. And so a, a, a coma seems like it would fall under that category, even if Swedenborg didn't exactly have the language for it. Um, yeah. Chris, do you, do you have any thoughts about it? Uh, not for this one particularly, no. Nice. Cool. Well, it's, it's really cool to throw that uh, subject around. That's a great, great question, Biomedi. Thanks for that. And uh, again, you can help us. You can keep hearing our responses to your questions for an extra 15 minutes. If we reach our goal of $171 this week, our special number for the framework of near-death experiences. And uh, there's a link in the description, or you can go to otle.cosbox.com. But we'll move on to our next question, which is from Tim Wood, who asks, will a duplicate of the house I currently live in still exist on the other side? So um, Chris, do you want to start us off on this one? Sure. Um you know, one of the statements uh, in one of our previous episodes this week, I think it was on Monday, um, that caught my eye was um, in the afterlife, everything around us reflects our heart and mind. So I like to think that um, to the degree that you have things in your house that are super deeply tied to your affections and um, like spark some kind of like deep joy, there's probably some kind of continuity in the afterlife. I don't know if it'll be a one-to-one match, but they're um, materialized all around you is this um, like very thoughtfully displayed uh, house in the afterlife. And yeah, there definitely could be things that we love on earth that can translate somehow into the afterlife. Yeah, that's great. Um, It just makes me think of my kids who will often say, is this stuffy of mine gonna be in the afterlife? You know, and I like to be able to say like, yes, <laughs> you know, like Chet, I don't know what that will represent for you, but if it's if it's deeply meaningful, then I'm sure some representation of that is gonna be there. Kara, um, yeah. Yeah, well said, Chris. Um, I had two thoughts. One was about everything being um, sort of a manifestation of what's what we believe and what we love everything around us. But I also am thinking of how he says, sometimes when people die, they don't even know they've died. Um, So at least in the beginning, that implies that you would still be like hanging around in your house and you know what I mean? (laughs) So uh, I'm not sure how it plays out in the long run, except for what Chris was talking about, that it's gonna be some kind of manifestation of, of stuff we deeply love and care about. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like, it, it could be the a duplicate of the house you currently live in, but I've wondered too, in the same way that in my dreams, I sometimes visit other houses I've lived in for a good amount of time and I'll, they'll come back and I don't know 
I wasn't thinking about it during the day, but just all of a sudden in my dreams, I'm in this house that I used to live in. So maybe it's a, a house or a place that you have some particular affection for, or it holds some particular meaning. Um, I mean, it's certainly like what Kara said, it is like what uh, Swedenborg says that the sort of spiritual analogs to our physical surroundings do happen in, uh, especially in the spiritual world and especially when we first wake up in the spiritual world and then things can gradually change um, as we go from there. But um, Karin, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with what you, you all have been saying that, yeah, there certainly are, are duplicate things in the afterlife and particularly depending on our state of mind as like Kara was mentioning when you first cross over, if that's how you would be the most comfortable to first be in super familiar surroundings like that, that's what you'll see around you. And like Chris was saying, if, if the house you've been familiar with in, in this world uh, feels really meaningful to you, the, the setup, I'm sure you will be seeing a similar thing in the afterlife, but also Swedenborg says that um, houses like everything in the afterlife is, is ever evolving. And I like thinking about how renovations will be way easier in the afterlife. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting ready to sell our house. And I'm thinking of all the things I wish I could have changed, but it costs a lot of money. It's a lot of work. But uh, Swedenborg talks about just your house that you live in, in the afterlife changes as your mind is changing. And you'll see this cool new, you know, design over here or the way this room is arranged or the, the decor. And so that's pretty fun to think about. So yeah, it's really, you know, what you want and care about will be manifesting around you, whether that is like a pretty exact duplicate of what you had here on earth or something different, because that wasn't what uh, was in your heart. Um, And whatever it is, it'll keep improving and evolving. Yeah, that's great. I like, you know, thinking about uh, how responsive the our spiritual living situation is to our to our state and i like that uh you know certain certain changes maybe go slowly you know like as we're as we're changing even he talks about the paths that people take to find their spiritual home so the place where you wake up might not be the place that really becomes your spiritual home but then also yeah the way that the how even if you're in your spiritual home things can keep changing and you know, recently we rearranged some rooms in our house where like this room's, you know, we decided to change it and it would serve this function instead. And, and that makes such a difference to even how it feels to be in our physical house. I can only imagine how much more, or like can imagine what that feels like when there's more of a one-to-one with what we're going through inside with how it's appearing around us. So it's cool to get sort of a taste of that um, in this life, but so uh, responding to these questions are so much fun. And uh, <laughs> I sure hope we get to do it for another extra 15 minutes. <laughs> We've gotten spoiled because we reached the goal. We've reached the goal almost every week. And no, I think we have every week. And so gotten used to this like cozy hour and 15 minutes of responding to questions. But so if you want to help us reach our goal, you can uh, give a donation at otle.causebox.com. Um, and it won't just be making it so we can spend a little extra time together this week, but uh, any new donors get entered into our monthly new donor raffle so that at the end of the month, um, 
we collect all the names of the new donors and uh, the winner of the raffle gets some uh, off the left eye swag with our new fancy logo and stuff. So uh, if you wanna join that, you can give now at any amount and, uh, and it'll be sort of for dual purposes. So, um, all right, so let's go to our next question now. This is from uh, Flower Child who asks, do spirits know we are going to die before we do? And if so, how would they get the message we are ready to go? And that's such a good question. And it makes me think of one of the responses in our from our reflection question this week, where that's something I've heard from a number of people, not only spirits, but people who are connected to a particular loved one feeling like they're getting a message that this person is passing on or has passed on or is about to pass on. Um, and, uh, and that, so that's a fascinating phenomenon. And I wonder about how it works. And another just example of that, that, uh, or, or that just pops to mind is the, the way spirits and angels or angels in particular know what's going to happen, like in the Christmas story, you know, and in, uh, that that's sort of a function that angels have is a kind of ability to to perceive what's coming, even though that that doesn't necessarily override our freedom. And so there's just a, there's gotta be a lot going on there. So um, does anybody wanna maybe start us off? Yeah, Kara. I just have a silly image in my mind of, you know, on all the police shows in the morning, they all get together in the whatever room that is and talk about who's gonna walk what beats, you know, and things like that. But I, I just imagine, you know, the angels getting together in the morning and say, okay, today we're going to be welcoming Karen and Chelsea. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what the mechanism is, but I, I, it's another one of those jobs that I think a lot of angels are involved in because right. people are just dying all the time. And there's a lot of um just special tender care required at that time. And to hear the NDE people telling their stories of the welcoming committees, you know, that also seems to corroborate that people are, people know, people know you're coming and they're ready. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just part of the, the divine, how the divine works things. Karin knows the answer. <laughs> yeah, what, give us, give us your wisdom, Karin. <laughs> I don't know the answer, but I, I mean, going to share some thoughts. Um, I think that we do, well, to me, the simplest way to think of it is the Lord lets them know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, just the knowing comes when it's needed, because that is how, like, one of our res the responders to our question this week just, just knew her father was was passing. Like, and I've heard many a story like that, like, you just get a feeling, you just know. And I think that's a very spiritual way that knowledge is passed. And in the spiritual world, it would be even more rapid and more um, normal and more obvious that just telepathically, this is a, a, a news item, but in the like of, of feelings that would spread because hmm. he is somebody about to pass. So it's just like a, a, the Lord would send out a, a beam of the feeling of, that would attract the loved ones that knew that person or angels that are particularly going to help out in, in that particular crossing over. So I imagine it just as it's just a feeling that draws 
that draws them. They just have a, a knowing that's given to them by the Lord because the time is right, because the Lord's really orchestrating all this at, out of love and knows exactly who is needed to give each person the most loving welcome and the most loving help right at that moment. So I think it would just be a, <laughs> a feelings telegraph that goes out and <laughs> You just know, and you just come. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I almost think of it like a magnetism. If if love is what uh, draws people together, um, I I can't imagine there's like a memo that angels get to you know be with certain people, but rather it's just a an acknowledgement of 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 something happening in the process, which is an angel or a spirit and an individual. Um, kind of coming together magnetically. Oh, I love, I love that idea. Cause we talk about like the, the speed of light, but in heaven, things happen at the speed of love, you know, and that, that, uh, to think, cause I was trying to, I was sort of thinking, well, it's nice when you have somebody who's slowly passing away, but for people who just experience sudden death occurrences, you know, that even, I think even in those situations, it's like, what anybody would go back to immediately in themselves is love or a calling out for love or a, you know, whatever, or even if just the Lord's presence with love with that person, if something suddenly happens to them. And so that anybody who's connected on either side is just like woof, drawn to that, to that like love message that, um, that would get sent out like that. So I think that's such a cool way to think about it. Uh, Chris, to think of magnetism or you know, speed of love or something. And, um, and it is true, and maybe we already mentioned this, but Swedenborg describing people, uh, you know, yeah, just often being welcomed by loved ones, you know, or by family, like some people experiencing just sort of lots of people around them, ready to greet them um, on the other side. So yeah, it's like there's a, a drawing near um, that, that happens. So that's, that's really cool to think about. Um, so uh, and something else very cool to think about is that a couple of people have given and have helped us reach, uh, get closer to our goal. I want to say thanks to um, Elizabeth and who got us well on our way. And then thanks to Martina. So we are now $50, almost to halfway uh, to our goal of $171. And if you're just tuning in, you could look up Heaven and Hell 171 and get a little uh, dose about the framework of near-death experiences. So that's our goal this week of $171 for an extra 15 minutes of questions. And you can go to otle.causebox.com to, uh, to give there. So um, thanks. This is super fun. And so let's go on to our next question. Um, Nana Rosebud asks, if we have soul family groups, then do we have soul family names? These are such fun questions. Um, Chris, do you want to start us off on this one? Yeah. Um, so, the, uh, you know, with regards to names in the afterlife, it's, you know, just so apparent to me from reading Swedenborg that the afterlife is all about um, authenticity and like your true self, everything about you, the very kind of like atoms that make you up are known throughout the afterlife by others, by yourself, by the Lord. And your name um, is, is quite literally the statement of your identity. 
who you are with your affections, everything that drives you and your intentions. Um, it's, it is, it is you to the deepest levels. So, um, I would just like to start it off by just laying down the context there. Yeah. And I, it makes me think about like, uh, that some, some original naming, you know, throughout history, why people have names, the names they have have been different. And sometimes it will be either who you're descended from or where you come from. And so it makes me think of, or, or of course, what you do, what your usefulness is. And thinking about all of those things from a spiritual standpoint, your origin or your where you live or what you do uh, could totally factor into your name. And um, so it makes me wonder about names of spiritual communities, you know, that Swedenborg does describe places having names. He has a, you know, a, a famous, fascinating name for a garden, the Adramondoni. Adramondoni, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so I wonder if maybe we get named connected to the community we're from or something. But um, Karin, yeah. Yeah, check out our episode, The Spiritual Meaning of Names, for more about what Chris was talking about, about names being just a total reflection of the quality of your identity and what you care about and what you do and everything. And that is a, a fascinating question. Do we have soul family names? I would relate that to, you know, soul family would be what Swedenborg is describing, like your, your spiritual community. It's you. And within, I'm sure within that community, there's even like groups that sort of maybe would be like, feel like family uh, groups within the larger community. And Swedenborg does talk about names that represent whole communities of angels and, and the function that they perform. Like actually I was working on a show for late, the end of this year uh, about the name Gabriel, which an angel name that Swedenborg learned actually represents a whole community of angels and this particular function that they do. So you could almost think of that as a family, a soul family name, like a community family name hmm. that, um, and I don't think that means that every person there is called <laughs> Gabriel, but that's just like describes who they are as a group. And maybe the names within that group somehow are variations or reflect that bigger name somehow. I, I don't know exactly, but definitely Swedenborg talks about names that represent a whole, you know, groups of people and whole groups of people. So I think, yeah, there is something like that. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that question, Nana Rosebud. That was um, a great question and good to hear everybody's thoughts on that. And uh, again, you can keep getting your questions in and um, we'll move on now to this next one from Matthew Bush, who asks, if heaven is timeless, wouldn't Swedenborg have seen any future angels or things, or is that foreknowledge not allowed? Um, so, uh, there's sort of a lot to unpack there because Swedenborg does talk about that there's the appearance of time, um, in, in heaven, even if time, it doesn't progress in the same way that it does in our world. And the appearance of time in heaven is due to spiritual states, but then of course that can be different 
for different people, but then whole communities can go through changes uh, that, so, so there's still, there's still an element of, I mean, feels weird to say, but there's kind of a, still an element of future development or future progress mm-hmm. happening in heaven that, uh, you know, I would think some angels who have perception from the Lord would have an interesting, you know, would have a, a sense of some of that, but then other people might not be as, you know, tuned in, or th- those are some initial thoughts for me, but um, Karen. Oh, yep. Yeah, unmute. Um, yeah, it's it's very fascinating that it's so hard for us from an earthly state of mind to not think uh, linearly um, because Swedenborg does uh, say that, like Chelsea was saying, in the afterlife, there isn't time like linear fixed time where it just goes this one direction, but there is the appearance of time because there is change, like people still develop and change and progress um, to get more and more evolved and more and more closer to God. So there is in a different way, uh, a past and a future, <laughs> but I don't know how, you know, I, I don't know exactly how that feels. Um, and I wouldn't know how to describe it, but, but there definitely is like Swedenborg does say, no one is allowed to know the future, not even angels, unless the Lord gives them that for some specific useful purpose. And so, and when Swedenborg was witnessing the last judgment in the spiritual world, which in earthly time was in 1757, he was saying angels don't know the future about like how this is going to unfold this new era. And so there is (laughs) weirdly, there's, there is not time in the afterlife, but there is like unfoldings and angels really just are given um, what's going on in the present. Unless, like I said, the Lord has a purpose to, to, to show them something um, that will be. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let Cara jump in now. Great, yes, yeah, Cara. Just the, with the thought that Swedenborg says that the happiness of angels, one of the factors in the happiness of angels is that they do not, they're just not thinking about a past or a future and they're just in the present. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons they can be um, in, you know, eternal bliss is because they're just in the present eternal moment. And so that's just an interesting part to throw into the concept of a, a future in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it uh, yesterday that like, um, you know, in terms of the future where there's a certain, well, sim- what you were talking about, Karen was making me think about, he was saying the last judgment, but yeah, like Swedenborg talks about the new church and gives descriptions of what that's going to be like, but he really doesn't know exactly what it's going to be like. And, and, uh, and really because like you said, the future is given or by like a knowledge of the future is given by the Lord. And really everything the Lord does is about usefulness and really certain amounts of knowledge of the future is just totally useless. And, I was realizing I was just, it was funny because it just came up. because I was thinking about my daughter and that like, I didn't know who she was going to be. And then I had this thought, you know, before she even existed. And then I had this thought, well, that would I, would it have made any, like, it wouldn't have made any use for me to know that 
super early on. Like, or, or if you get further away in time, then it has absolutely no bearing on what's happening now in the present. You know, it just would just kind of throw things off. Like we're just not ready to know things until we are. And then I'm fascinated that when we get closer and closer to the sort of present unfolding, which is such a great word, that the boundary between the present and the future kind of blurs where you do start getting bits of perception about something that might be right around the corner. You know, like, it's just interesting. I feel like the Lord is active about those sort of, here's, here's a little bit of help about what's just around the corner for you, you know, and that's, that sort of like daily, daily bread, you know, or manna Mm. from heaven that uh, the point isn't to, you know, withhold something from us, but really it's just what's, what's going to serve us and what's useful for us um, right now. Yeah. Karin. Yeah. I was thinking that like Cara was saying, it's part of the happiness of angels to be in the present because that is uh, uh, the definition of innocence in the heavenly form of innocence is just willing to be led. And if you're in a state, if an angel is in a state of just like what's happening now is great and perfect and I'm just going with it. (laughs) And we have, just from heredity, um, if we sort of know the future, we might have an opinion on if that's <laughs> if that's a good idea or not, or might want to mess with it, or or you, you know uh, talk about if that should be different or something. But if we so we're true, if so we're just, true. <laughs> if we're just present, we can just okay. Here is what is, and I'm just going with it and working with God with it. That's just a much calmer, more peaceful, happier way to be. And so that is why mostly angels don't even want to know the future. (laughs) And um, uh, yeah, if there's some use for it, there it is. But uh, mostly it's just happier place to be in the present. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I laugh because here we are locked into time and we have about a little over 20 minutes until the end of our blissful hour of being in the present and responding to questions. <laughs> and I want to say thanks to Penny who gave. So we're now at $75. So getting close to halfway, maybe we'll make it to the 171 goal um, this week, another number, or maybe not. And, uh, but in any case, those of you who've given will get entered into or as a new donor, we'll get entered into our raffle um, at the end of the month. And, and then- every, every dollar that's given is, is helping our programming and to be able to reach more and more people um, and, and help us create this content to give these ideas some broadcast time, you know, literally into the world that uh, to be able to help and comfort people. So thank you so much for your gifts and for, being here. And so we'll get to our next question now. This is from Gail Lemieux and who asks, a lot of people suffer before they die. Do you believe that people's spirits leave their body before they physically pass and do not feel the pain and suffering? Um, Cara, do you want to start us off on this one? Sure. Um, I just watched the short clip that we put up yesterday or whenever it was about the near-death experience of uh, Mary Neal, I think her name was. Um, And that is an awesome experience with lots of detail about uh, her near-death experience where she had a pretty tough, tough experience of being pinned under the water in a kayak 
um, and her legs breaking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she was aware of all this happening, but she was not suffering. And um, there's a lot of people talking about that kind of thing with their near death experiences. And I think the way that Swedenborg talks about um, the Lord taking such special care at that time of transition, it just totally makes sense to me. I don't know if I'd say that the, the spirit has left the body, but certainly the consciousness is focused somewhere else um, and not just on the physical level. So uh, it does sound like people, I know not, not every dying process is completely pain-free and suffering-free, but um, it sounds like there's some work going on to help the person transition out of that physical anchoring and um, going towards the light. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that Mary Neal story, kind of had my own experience of that. Uh, last year, I got, I got hit by a truck and um, uh, yeah, literally uh, the truck went into my door where I was and, you know, you'd think that there'd be a lot of pain associated with that, but the only thing, and it happened in micro moments, like almost like time wasn't even a factor in this. Uh, like I just saw like everything that I loved about my life, everything that meant something and that, that was kind of like attached to my heart, it replayed like a life review. Um, Hmm. as I was spin, I mean, it was like, it almost seemed like hundreds of little snapshots every moment my car was spinning. Um, and so I had really like Mary Neal's story. I had, I had, a, I acknowledged that there was something physical happening to me and to my surroundings, but I my mind was so not there. It was almost totally um, engaged with a much deeper spiritual reality. Um, so, you know, I just thought that was an interesting experience. Yeah. Wow. Chris, it's so cool to, I mean, it's cool to hear about that happening during such a intense, uh, suffering or what obviously from the outside is, is intense suffering. And, um, I remember that happening to you, but I hadn't heard that part of it. And that just seems so Precious. So thanks for sharing about that with us here. And it's so cool that it is that what you loved was right there with you. And so you wonder if even those thoughts was part of that protection or something. That's just really cool. Yeah. And after that totally changed my trajectory. And I mean, so many changes in my life happened as almost that was like the Lord's gift of clarity, you know, like, okay, here, Hmm. let me put in front of you the things that you may or may not realize truly matter so that you might have a opportunity to make some changes in your life that more, uh, I don't know, more harmonized with those things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Karen. Amazing, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I definitely think that there is a removal from the physical aspect of the pain of the final parts of dying of the body dying. And I think it's important not to mix up the, like the sort of final stages of an illness that can be cancer or something that can be very painful, but that's not the same thing as the dying process, like when it's actually time to die. And I 
suspect that that is probably pain-free for everybody. Uh, and people get confused, like, oh, but my father was in such pain. To the, but you're thinking of the end of his illness. And um, we had the guest PMH Atwater on our show Monday. And a quote from one of her books that we actually shared in uh, our episode, um, How how Angels Help Us, what is it called? Uh, how Angels Help Us When We Die. Is that the uh, <laughs> going blank on the title? How angels, how angels take care of us when we die? How, yes, that is it. How angels take care of us when we die. So uh, she had a description in there of actually it was a person with a dying person who this dying person was on the bed and their physical body was writhing around as if in pain. But the person had a spiritual experience where they saw that person's spirit right above the body in perfect peace. And so I think it's even, I mean, you know, the old like chicken with a head cut off and it's still running around. I almost wonder if there's like, there still can be reactions going on in that physical body. And yet the person is really not focused there anymore. And is actually, even if it looks like it is not experiencing that pain because it is all about like Carl was mentioning about the focus. Uh, if, because Mary Neal was focusing on what she was starting to see and God and heaven and spiritual people, it, even if she was aware of her physical body, that wasn't, that wasn't the prevalent thing that was affecting her. She was way more affected by, by the spiritual reality that she was encountering. And Swedenborg says that there's all this effort by the Lord and angels to as a person is approaching death, turn their minds towards spiritual things to help them detach from the focus of the body, even before they're out of the body. So, and that would be for the purpose of, you know, taking away the pain of that. So go watch that episode, how angels take care of us when we die. Cause we have a couple more examples of people with stories like Chris that have went through something that physically was very awful, but they were really not feeling any of that pain. So I think that's, that's pretty potent information. <laughs> cool. That's great. This, this is why I love getting to be on this show. It's just great to get to hear from each of you guys about uh, your thoughts on these questions and get to have these discussions. And thanks everyone for all of your questions. Um, and we have another, you know, 15 minutes and maybe we'll have a 15 minutes more if we reach our goal of $171 for this week. We're getting close. Um, and uh, so here's our next question from Vera Sandin, who asks, will heaven ever get over, oh, will heaven ever get overpopulated with spiritual souls? Uh, and I can just say from, uh, no, 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 I won't. I want to pass it on to Chris. You go, Chris. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. You don't want to open it up, open it up on this one? Uh, my answer is no. <laughs> oh, your answer is no. <laughs> Give it away. Oh, that's great. Exactly. So we can expand on that a little bit because we've got all this cushy time. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think we have, uh, I think we have a show called The Heaven Project um, that is one where we explore how heaven just, keeps getting more and more perfect the more 
people are a part of it. And if you think about like, uh, now we talk in terms of a high definition photograph, you know, or like these TVs that have like thousands of pixels or whatever. It's like, uh, the more there is, the more definition, the clearer. And what's cool is what you're seeing more and more is, is the Lord, you know, like heaven is, uh, the expression of the Lord through angels. And so the more that's there, just the greater that expression gets to be. And the Lord is infinite, uh, you know, and so there's just an infinite capacity for love and wisdom to have expression through angels being in heaven. So, uh, that's, that's my two cents, but, um, Karin. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Chris. No, <laughs> following up with Chelsea, Chelsea was saying, yeah, it's, there is, we were talking about, there's no time, no fixed time in the afterlife. There's also no fixed space. <laughs> so there is not a fixed amount of space that will get full. It, the space is reflective of whoever is there. God is infinite. So there is no limits on God. And so God can keep creating and there keep will being space for every <laughs> new created person. So um, because the, the environment in, in the afterlife is created by the, you know, by God, but the minds of the people that come into heaven are, um, you know, defining the space around them or the, you know, space in quotation marks. So it, it can't get filled because it's not fixed and it's just ever, it's, it's an alive thing. It's, it's responsive to thoughts and feelings. And since God's thoughts and feelings are infinite and we're all created out of a th thought and feelings of God, um, it just, I don't even want to say it'll keep expanding because I'm not sure if that's the right way to think of it, but just, it just is. And there's always going to be room. And Swedenborg actually, uh, I guess he must've been asked that kind of thing by people because he sometimes wrote a couple times that I have seen just these vast areas in heaven that are not populated at all yet. And he was trying to give the idea, like, there's so much room. There's just like no end of room. So no, I'll never get overpopulated. Yeah. Kara. Yeah. About uh, Karen saying whether it will expand or not. Um, our friend, Dr. Jonathan Rose, who we love on this program, came across a passage recently that just sort of blew my mind and he had never noticed before and I had never noticed before about how every person that goes into heaven has a spot between two other people. <laughs> Which is just so... <laughs> It was such a mind blower because we're used to thinking, well, we Swedenborgians are used to think of going into a community and being part of something where you belong. But the specific placement between two other people, like you're bridging two people. And so what the image that that brings to my mind is not expansion as much as sort of deepening. And like Chelsea said, coming into uh, higher pixelation or more focus or like that Mandelbrot series that you go into the, the tiny little piece of that image of the swirl and then it gets just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. That's what it comes to mind when I hear that, that you're going between two people. So, so the space is just filling up inside. I don't know. I can't describe it. It's mind blowing, isn't it? <laughs> It is. And one of my favorite 
quotes is in Last Judgment 12, maybe. It's either 12 or, yeah, I think it's 12. And it is, yeah, every person that comes in is this, this perfect link between other people. And if you think of it in terms of mindset, like we all have a particular point of view and perspective and we come in and we're just this link between this mindset and this mindset. And then the collective mindset is getting clearer and clearer and deeper and more connected Mm. with every person that comes in. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea of getting more and more connected, that that is part of what creates that perfection. And so that that and that that can just keep growing forever um, is amazing. I want to um, pause our conversation for just a second and say thank you to Jim who gave. Thank you so much. We've now reached halfway to our goal, which might be the thing that we celebrate the most today. <laughs> but we still have seven minutes or eight minutes uh, where you could help us go over the edge, and we'd have fifteen more minutes of time to respond to questions today to help us reach our goal of. 171 and uh, and so you can give at otle.causevox.com. But I treasure every minute that we get to respond to these questions with you every week. So um, does anybody have any more thoughts about this one on, on heaven and the population with spirits? Um, that's great. Well, such a cool question, Vera. Thank you for that. And um, we'll move on to this next one from Peg B who asks, I wonder why some people have NDEs, but others don't. Yeah, uh, Karin. The theory that I share with people is I think about dreaming, how we all dream at night, but you don't remember most of the dreams that you had. And some people don't remember any dreams. And some people remember dreams very vividly because it's in a part of your mind that can kind of fly away when you wake up again. And my theory is that anyone who almost dies and then comes back into their body has probably all of them have had an experience, but that doesn't mean necessarily you would remember it because that, you know, that level of consciousness doesn't necessarily easily just come back into your earthly waking consciousness. So that's my theory that my theory is that everyone does have some kind of experience, but some people don't remember it. Nice. Thanks, Karen. Um, I want to jump in again and just say thanks to Jeannie because we're now at 97. So we're getting so close uh, to our goal with six, four minutes is maybe the most exciting show we've had. uh, (laughs) Maybe reaching this goal or not, but thanks for keeping us on the edge of our seats. Um, But uh, so yeah, Cara, do you have... Yeah, just the sort of overarching thought that um, God is guiding all of our paths all the time, Swedenborg says, you know, for our long-term eternal happiness and every detail is under his providence. Um, And so it must be something about the usefulness of who remembers the experience or has or doesn't have the experience just must be like everything else in our lives, part of our unique spiritual path that is serving our highest good in the long run, whether we can see it now or not. So that's not very specific, but that is one of the general sort of principles of Swedenborg that I hang my hat on a lot. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, um, 
that I can say without a doubt is that um, the, you know, the experience I gave with being hit by a truck and having a life review, all of that information that I kind of, uh, all, well, all that experience I participated in, you would find within the whole system that Swedenborg lays out. Um, you know, the cool thing about Swedenborg's teachings is that whether or not you have a near-death experience, everything that you need in order to fully participate in uh, spiritual life and kind of develop an angel mindset here on earth, that's all there. So it's almost like that. It's a, it's a win-win no matter what. It's icing on the cake. Uh, if you do have an NDE sometimes, you know, depending on what kind of NDE you have, but um, the reality is we have such revolutionary teachings that literally uh, open up the mysteries of faith for us. So that to me is the baseline for everything. That's such a good point that, yeah, it can feel like, why, why isn't this happening to me? Why am I, or especially if you have a loved one who's crossed over, will we get to, why don't I get to have an experience of that person? Um, very, very sweetly, my, it, my grandfather is passing away soon and I got to be talking with him and it was just, you know, it was, we sort of just laughed where it's like, boy, would it be nice if he could, you know, send me a little message when he's on the other side, but we both kind of know that that's kind of out of our control. Uh, but, but so to be able to sort of acknowledge that and just mm -hmm. be like, okay, that's, wouldn't that be great, but we don't get to choose. Um, and, and our, we can just put our trust in the Lord about that. And so similarly with, with NDEs, um, Karen, did you have a further thought on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was thinking in terms of people who, who do almost die and come back into their body. But yeah, just in general, all of us, like why do some people have obvious spiritual experiences and some don't? And I have not had obvious spiritual experiences, but I agree with what you're all saying that um, we, everything that we need is what in whatever our life path <laughs> is, because there are people who have had obvious spiritual experiences and that did not solve their life. You, you know, it, there's still all the struggles to go through and, and, and grapple with. And I think actually not having spiritual experiences makes me more appreciative of looking for much more subtle ways that I, that I think my loved ones are involved in my life who are in the afterlife or God is working in my life. Um, it can make me look more carefully for the ways that that is happening, even, even if it's not overt and we can all, and I think God causes it that we all have such different lives and we're supposed to be sharing with each other and learning from each other. So I'm so grateful for the stories that other people have gone through because that does affect my life. It, it makes a difference in my life. Yeah, that's so true. That's great. And uh, I want to say our lucky number for this week may have been 108 Mindy gave. Thank you, Mindy. And we got over the 100 mark. And here we are 359. And I wasn't sure whether we'd get to another question, but Sharon gave and now we are over our goal. We are at uh, 188. So look at that. <laughs> we can hang out for another 15 minutes. So this is super fun. Um, thank you to everyone who's given. And of course, you can keep uh, keep giving. And, uh, you know, if you haven't donated yet, but you want to, because if you're a new donor, you'll get entered into our new donor raffle, but really any amount of giving, um, and whether it's one time or you set it to be recurring, 
it, it just is a huge amount of support for, for the organization for us to be able to, uh, keep getting to share these stories with people and, and spreading that, that spiritual hope and, um, and trust and everything that just really, it certainly helps me a ton. And so I love to think of how it's helping, um, other people out in the world. So cool. Thank you so much. So we will venture on, um, and, uh, so our next question comes from, so also I'll say, if you have more questions, get them in. We're here till 4.15 Eastern time. Um, and this question is from Gullibles Travails, who asks, if a person dies from an overdose, do they come out of it on the other side? And again, I was just gushing about all of this, you know, getting to do this show and create content here, but, uh, I love that we can have a conversation about this kind of a question, you know, and we're not, you know, we're not just wondering, but here we are basing on this framework of the spiritual world that, that Swedenborg writes about. We can actually kind of like think critically, well, what would that scenario potentially be like? Um, even though I don't know whether Swedenborg wrote about that directly. Um, so does anybody want to uh, start us off? Yeah. Kara. Uh, yeah, I uh, just a few thoughts that come to mind. I don't um, think that Swedenborg addresses this directly, but I don't know. He tells a lot of stories about what happened with people. Um, what I'm sort of stuck on is uh, I've never had an overdose myself, so I don't know what it's like to have the physical level, how the physical level interacts with the mental or spiritual thing. Because an overdose is something that's just on the physical level and the body and the physical level is just left behind when the spirit moves on. So, um, you know, I'm just confused, like hallucinations and for instance, you know, happen in your mind, but um, I don't know. It's just weird to think about the interplay between the physical and then the mental uh, response to that. But Swedenborg is very clear that when we die, our body falls away. Everything physical is just not there anymore. So you're, you, you're there with your mind, with your heart, with what you know and what you love. And I'm not sure how those immediate moments would be in a case like that, but there's a few thoughts. Yeah. And yeah, Carl, what you were saying just had this made this thought pop to mind for me where um, I think about people who, who are in end of life care and, and especially if they're suffering from some kind of a disease uh, it, there often is a lot of physical pain involved. And so people are often on, you know, um, morphine. Yeah, and uh, you know, so these very powerful mental affecting um, drugs that you know are carefully made, you know, uh, calculated to just be enough to help the person cope. But uh, and even in the case of my um, my mom who died of a brain cancer of a brain tumor, I, I don't actually. She was just just even in that case where people when they get near the end of their life even naturally or through disease, you're, you're, you can almost just seem like you're drugged, you know, like very drugged, whether you literally are or not. And yet, even in that state, there can be these sudden moments of 
total lucidity, you know, where somebody just pops back and they're lucid and clear and direct and just like somehow some alignment happens and the spirit is just coming straight through that sort of dilapidated body um, and has a message or has a very clear point or directive they want to make or something. And so anyway, that's just, again, an experience to that, that I've had or something I think about in terms of this to, to, as a, as a demonstration of what Cara was talking about, how like the physical can be in a certain condition, but the spirit is, uh, is intact and, and separate and has, is sort of having its own experience, uh, inside of whatever's going on physically, but, um, Karen, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, good to not get too caught up on how a person died because I, I have had a lot of questions about like, what if a person, uh, there's a idea out there that if someone died a, a, from a violent death, are they sort of tortured about that after death and maybe even haunting the earth because it's unresolved, but that just is not, I don't find that at all in Swedenborg that the, the method of death is not important. Um, you're, you're more general and not even the state of mind right at death. Like if someone died of suicide, like just that moment is not who they are, the whole of them and the whole of their spirit. So um, the method of death and the uh, state of mind right at death, that is not something to worry about. If you have a loved one who has crossed over in a, in, in a way that seems upsetting to you um, because no matter how a person dies, the, the care is there in equal measure, like the Lord's care, the angels that are sent there to help them cross over and whatever kind of, yeah, as Cara said, the body just falls right away. The, the physical, anything physical going on is just gone. It's just absolutely not even an issue anymore. And if there are any lingering emotional or mental um things to untangle, that person is going to get every possible help with that, like the best <laughs> counselors that you could imagine and more, um, you know, angelic help. So it's um, really something I really always want to encourage people to loved ones left behind if their loved one died in a way that they feel like was an upsetting way to die or something to just let go of that because that's not that that's not your loved one anymore. It doesn't matter. They are, they are just starting the next phase of their journey that just doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, that's great. And that is such a, such an important point. Um, and so, yeah, with Gullible's question, you know, do they come out of it on the other side? Definitely because there is this clear distinction between the physical experience and the spiritual one. And, uh, and like what we were talking about earlier, the process of our death I love that distinction you made, Karen, of that the the dying process is actually this very distinct thing, even if the experience our body goes through going up to that dying process can have any number of different um, forms, but that that really doesn't cross over into this special process that is the dying um, process. I feel like that's such a useful and help, yeah, helpful way to think about it. Um, because things can, yeah, look very distressing. Um, but yeah, I've heard from lots of people about the 
people who've had NDEs like, or, or the experience Chris has described where that inner experience is very different than what it might appear to look like on the outside. So um, thank you so much for that question. And we've got another one because here we are. Thanks for everybody who gave uh, to help us be in this extra 15 minute time. Um, it's a wonderful. And so here's a question from Alexa Martins who asks, how can I know if my beloved parents are with me always? So thanks for that question, Alexa. Um, and yeah, Karen. Yeah, uh, Alexa, we've talked with her a lot online and I know she's missing her parents so much. They've both passed away. Hmm. I think you can know that because your heart knows uh, that they love you and you love them. And as we've talked about, love is what brings spiritual union and presence. And so because you have love, you can know that they are with you because there is love between you. And um, God is love itself and supports all levels, you know, all the genuine love between people. And God is making sure that people who love each other are staying connected in spirit. And so you trust in the love between you. That's how you can know that they are with you always. That's great. And yeah, and I love that it is, it is a hard question. Uh, there's a wrestling involved in how can I know if my beloved parents are with me always. And, uh, and I think there's sort of an element of time in that and, and, and an idea from Swedenborg that, that has helped me a lot is understanding these levels in our minds that we have an outer mind or your uh, lower self and a higher self or an inner self or inner, inner mind. And so those um, thoughts exist on different levels in our minds. And when we're, when our mind is primarily, we can start to get familiar with the quality of what level of our mind we're kind of operating from in a given moment. And so to know that when we're in that lower state of mind, it can feel really, it might feel like there's no way I can know, you know, and there, nothing could even convince me, you know, how could I ever know whether my parents are really with me or not? And it might force you into this, you know, a sort of spinning of wanting to know, but can't, but that actually, you know, that inner, an inner level of your mind can connect to that trust that your parents are with you because it's just a spiritual truth, as Swedenborg says, and our inner mind can acknowledge spiritual truth, which is that our loved ones are with us because we're connected with love, like Karen was saying, just like that the Lord is always with us, heaven is present with us, that we're being cared for, and by more angels who feel like family to us than we can even recognize, you know, that than we know from our earthly mind. And, um, but, but that path to getting a sense of trust in that deeper part parts of ourselves can just take, it can take time. And especially if your grief is new and raw, it can just, I just encourage you to be patient with yourself and your process. Um, you know, where, and I'm talking years, you know, <laughs> or decades where just keep layering on the patience uh, and the, the gentleness and the love for yourself. And that's, that's why these kinds of little reminders that even if it doesn't feel that way, that like, I know I'm connected with these people I love because 
I love them. You know, they're whatever little anchors support you in, in hanging on to that trust. Cause it, it will, it might feel like you can never know. And, uh, but, but that the truth is still there and, and I can, uh, encourage you in knowing that that sense of trust is going to, is going to get stronger over time. Um, and, uh, so I hope that's some comfort. Um, does anybody have any other thoughts on this one from Alexa before we move on? Yeah, Cara. I just, uh, my heart goes out to you, Alexa. Um, I just had this image of when you're on an airplane and you, it's a rainy day and you're taken off and you go up and suddenly you're above the clouds and there's the sun. It was always there. We just couldn't see it. And that this, the way uh, Chelsea described it to, to um, hold on to that reality, uh, even if your heart feels hollow right now or something. The reality is that love is there and your parents are with you because you love each other. Mm. Yep. Cool. Thanks for that question, Alexa. And we send you our love. And um, I think this next one will be our prop might be our last question of the day. So thanks everybody for being here and hanging out with us for this extra time. Um, this question is from Katie Nielsen Pasco, who asks, how do spirits who seem to be haunting or caught in between space fit in Swedenborg's explanations? So uh, that's a great question. And I'll um, pass it to you, Karen, to start us off. We did a show called Do Ghosts Exist, where we dug into this uh, question and found some fascinating things in in Swedenborg's writings. And contrary to sort of the the popular lore about ghosts, is there are people who died who have unfinished business or something, or or uh, you know are upset about something. But um, I do, do not believe that's true. What Swedenborg witnessed is there are some spirits that just became so attached to material, the material level, <laughs> like their, their loves were so attached to physicality and material things that they do stay very close to the earthly level to the point at which sometimes they're even, uh, Swedenborg would even sometimes feel like a, a wind that his body could feel that was from these spirits or they the papers on his desk would flutter like they were actually affecting the physical level a little bit. And so he, yeah, go, go watch that show because um, we are where our mind, it, where our attachments are, where our affections are. And so if a, if a spirit is, he, he, he talks about, um, you know, spirits of bodily cravings or something that people that had just gotten so attached to that level of, of physical stuff that they hang out on a low level <laughs> of, of the afterlife, very close to the earthly level. And it seems like that is what would be the ghost. It's never children. That, that's a, a false, you know, if, if there seems to be some child haunting a place, that's just a spirit pretending to be a child because that just doesn't happen. Um, but it doesn't mean people who are down in that level are there forever. Um, Swedenborg talks about the Lord is constantly working with people to 
to urge them forward <laughs> to progress. So I don't believe it's ever a spirit there for centuries and centuries, but there can be people who are just temporarily just a little too caught up in the physical material level and issues on that level. And so they are hanging out near that level, but go watch that show. Do ghosts exist? That's great. And I love it because that's a great example of how uh, valuable people's giving is and the, the gifts that they've given to us this week, because uh, a question like that, it's not an easy answer and we can respond to it as best we can in a show like this, but you know, people's donations is what's made it possible for us to put together this very awesome episode called Do Ghosts Exist, where Kara features in it in this cool demonstration of the experience of spirits. And, uh, and, and it's just, so it's super fun to get to have that opportunity. Oh yeah, go ahead, Karin. I had the teapot. (laughs) (laughs) See, in a lot of these bizarre experiences that Swedenborg describes, we can portray in visuals uh, to just help help people like Katie really spend some time thinking about these ideas. Cause the point is not, not to just, well, here, feed you your answers, but really to give you some good spiritual food to mull over in yourself and, you know, think about this, this whole framework that we've been exploring all week. So thank you so much to everyone. I want to just say we, we raised $188 and from seven donors and, Two of those people were brand new who will get entered into our monthly raffle. So thank you so much. Um, and, and before we go, just wanted to let you know that you can hang out with us all weekend because we've got quite a packed weekend. Tomorrow on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, we're going to be broadcasting a special interview between Curtis and Dr. Jonathan Rose talking about why Swedenborg went public. So this research that Jonathan did related to the most recent Um, new volume in the NCE of the shorter works of 1763. Um, And then on Sunday, we've got the podcast, like I said, and then on Monday, we get to go further in our uh, study of the book of Revelation. And we're going to be, the show is going to be about Revelation chapter nine, um, the bottomless pit. So stick around on Monday for that. And so I just want to say thanks to each of our panelists. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the donations. Really helps out. Thank you for being here and your wonderful questions. Always great to talk to you. Yes, thanks so much, everybody. It's great to just have a chance to think about stuff. Yeah, really glad to be here. Great, and I'm grateful to get to be here, too. Thank you for being where you are and for doing uh, the wonderful work that you do in the world. (laughs) And uh, we will... We will catch you all next week.